Welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We're two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and making and or baking things. What have you been making? So I have been having kind of a bad brain time and Nick has been really lovely. So I asked what I could do for them Mm -hmm. and they requested the most chocolate cake. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can see exactly how this went. <laughs> Chocolate cake. Then I put got a cream layer in between with chocolate buttercream, obviously. Of course. And then I put chocolate fingers all around the sides. Oh, man. And then dark chocolate ganache. <laughs> and then chocolate buttons on top. Oh, my gosh. It is the most decadent thing I've ever created. I'm not sure how I feel about that. (laughs) It's very, very good if you have a small slice. (laughs) (laughs) I I do think you executed Nick's request to the max, though. If you ask me to make you the most chocolate cake, I'm going to make the most chocolate cake. (laughs) Part of me wants to try this, but part of me like values my sugar levels. I no longer care for such earthly things. I think the I think the part that wants to try it is bigger. <laughs> I, I do recommend it. It's a very good cake. Like I said, if you have a small piece, so I'm I'm just slightly in awe of you right now. <laughs> So what what have you been up to? Uh, nothing quite as magnificent, unfortunately. I did. I bottled my elderflower wine, finally, and it tastes really nice. I was expecting, like last time, I got this really alcoholic, slightly sour thing, but this one tastes good. I made a wine. Um. So. Yeah, I think it needs a couple more weeks, maybe to age, maybe a couple more months. I don't know. I'm just going to keep drinking wine at set intervals for science. I really thought you were just going to say, at the world. (laughs) I don't know if wine is aggressive enough. I feel like if you want to drink something at the world, it should be like rum straight whiskey yeah that's that's what the jaded people in the films drink oh yeah i need a trench coat and a cigar as well (laughs) unfortunately i don't like either of those things you don't like trench coats not a fan honestly i used to have this painting that i loved oh nice it was like a the colour of like a strawberry milkshake. I'm I'm seeing that. It's cool. I'm more of a like if if frock coats were in fashion, I would be all over them. Would enjoy a frock coat. I mean, I think I've said on this podcast before that there is a part of me that just wants to dress like Beau Brummel. <laughs> yeah, that would be excellent. Actually, I'm kind of thinking of getting into tailoring a bit, if I can. 
I don't know. Because I, I, I need some waistcoats in my life, and I can't find any. Waistcoats are very good. Mm. Like possibly a waistcoat and cape scenario? Oh, yes. Yeah. So what are we learning about this week? Yes, in the absence of a segue, Ursat's goods. Specifically, Ursat's oh. foods. Fake foods. Yes, because we were talking last time, weren't we, about acorn coffee? Yeah. And I went on a little bit of a dive. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Okay. I am so excited to learn what atrocities people have been eating as other things <laughs> for centuries. So. We begin in the Victorian era. Of course. People have obviously been eating ersatz foods forever because ersatz um, just means uh, replacement or substitute. Mm-hmm. Um, so an ersatz food is basically, you think it's this thing, but it isn't. Oh, like the current, um, it's a cake trend. Have you seen those? Where the like the videos where it's it's a thing like that, and it's more like vegan foods. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. Like um, I get it. You know, like when people use chickpea water instead of eggs, that could be described as an ersatz egg. Okay. Okay. I I do like the everything is cake thing though. It is. It is good. I feel like. That's quite outdated when we're recording. It's going to be even more outdated when this goes up. But it's a quality meme. <laughs> well, I'm I'm still tickled by it. So, um, so yeah, in the Victorian era, it was less about necessity, like we talked about with the acorn coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of it was, you know, there's always been poor people. Um, I feel like... I feel like the Victorians would would be like when they're getting particularly good at it because like they've just found out about chemistry as well. Yeah. Um the first one I want to talk about is um alum. Okay. In alum, alum is in uh like what you use for dyeing. Yeah, or in laundry detergent. Okay. In food? In food. Um, Because you probably know um, white bread has always been kind of seen as better than brown bread because it's it's more processed. It's white, so it looks pure because that whole kettle of fish. Yeah. Um, So to stretch the white flour and also make the bread look nice and white, you put alum in with the flour, and sometimes just straight up chalk. Okay. Is that is that okay for you? Can you eat that and be fine? I mean, that depends whether you enjoy chronic diarrhea. I'm going to say no. In which case, no. Okay. Because... Um, 
Yeah, alum is aluminium-based, and aluminium is not good for you. I mean, yeah, I would think you probably shouldn't eat that. But, wow. Most foods in the Victorian era, you could find someone that was willing to adulterate it. Okay. Including, like, dyeing red wine and port to make it look redder. What? Replacing coffee with ground-up beans. Okay, I guess I can... Replacing tea with various tree leaves, including ash. Huh. And elder. Okay. Aren't elder leaves, like, mildly poisonous? But, you know, you, you... Put them up and dry them, and they look a lot like tea, apparently. Huh. And I, I guess. Just pop, pop outside and get some of that. You don't have to import it. <laughs> Man, those, uh, those wacky Victorians. Yeah, there's um, an early Victorian writer called uh, Sedgwick. Um, Mr. T. Sedgwick. Um not sure what the T stands for, um, said that is, it is, <laughs> it might have been, um, it is difficult to mention a single article of food that is not adulterated. <laughs> this does include medicines as well, obviously. Okay. Um, which is why we now have things like the maximum amount of other stuff that you're allowed in food. Like, you've probably seen the statistic of you can have six insect parts in a chocolate bar. I have not. But oh, I guess yeah. I shouldn't be surprised. Well, especially because it's basically impossible to keep everything out, so there's, like, this is the amount that's allowed. I mean, yeah, I guess having made stuff from fruits and, and berries and things it's like you, you can't always get everything out um, although I imagine the acceptable levels of say lead in mustard or arsenic in sweets is probably quite low I, yeah yeah like there's they make a couple, it look pretty there's a couple spider legs and there's arsenic <laughs> I mean, one of those is worse. Yeah, like, I mean, people eat insects. It's a thing. Yeah. Like, I'm I, not going to be too worried. Is an accepted source of protein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so how much arsenic can you have in food? Basically, if you can detect it, it's probably too much. That makes sense. <laughs> what were the Victorians putting arsenic in? Various arsenic compounds make very, very pretty colours. Um, you know, like the sort of the toxic Victorian wallpaper. Oh, the green, dear. that's arsenic. Uh -huh. So you can make the sweets look really pretty and then sell them to the children. Oh no. Oh no, don't do that, Victorians. <laughs> Ah, uh, 
but the use of the word ersatz, at least in the English language, doesn't really come into play until uh, the First World War. Okay. When no one has anything and everyone's having a bad time. Yeah. I, I've heard about a few sort of replacement foods and kind of fake foods that, that came about during the Second World War. Well, sort of Second World War slash uh, Great Depression. Okay. So the popularization of the term um, probably comes from the Ersatz Corps of the German army in World War One, who were just kind of the less good soldiers, but they were running out of soldiers. Okay. Um, kind of people who were less able. Okay, so like country militia peasants with pitchforks. Partly that, partly people who may have been turned down in the original draft for various sort of relatively minor health issues. Okay. Um, but yeah, because there were naval blockades, you actually got ersatz things in Germany during the First World War, including there was apparently 6,000... Patents for ersatz drink products. That's a lot. I mean, I I imagine this would be big business because people still want want to enjoy things. But the the one from this very very long list that I want to highlight is um, well, not a patented one, but one that people did was um, catmint or catnip. Uh huh. Um, as a tea. Okay. Which I'm informed by certain corners of the internet does produce a mild high. <laughs> Sounds alright. If I was living through the First World War, I might drink catnip too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'd just ride it out, catnipped up. Interestingly, we also get when we get into the depression, um, some ersatz fabrics, including um, nettle, which I know you are I, trying to, are making nettle fabric. Yeah, yeah, I have heard about nettle being used. Well, nettle was used quite a bit historically, but obviously it fell out of favour in the early 20th century. And I mean, even a bit before when all these new machine-made fabrics started coming in. Um, but yeah, because of shortages during the First World War, they started to bring it back um, in, I think, in France and Germany. As well as uh, fish skin fabrics. Okay. Um, the collection of Aberdeen University apparently has a coat made of fish skin. Hmm. I'm not sure if that would be... I mean, would it be soft? I, on the basis that they also made slippers out of it, I would assume it's at least comfortable. Okay. Like I slippers specifically, not just shoes. I can imagine that wouldn't be the worst. Hmm. I mean, fish are fairly soft. 
Yeah. That's that's probably a nonsense logic, but for sure. <laughs> <that itself. laughs> also very slimy though. Like it's it's difficult to unslime them. I think they're that slimy when they're they dry. Okay. Hmm. I'm not sure I'm gonna... Are you touching a fish? It's wet. I'm not sure I'm gonna try out that one. To try it. What, what I would not be willing to try is um, the Ursat's coffees. Okay, so we've got acorns as one. That doesn't sound too bad. Yeah. Chicory is one that people still drink as sort of an, um, uh, what's the word? Like a decaf alternative. Okay. Also, um, it's quite big in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also have lupin, which is poisonous. Yeah. Um, I feel like people would eat. Okay. Just straight up diluted treacle or molasses. <laughs> I feel like that just wouldn't taste like coffee. Most of these wouldn't, I don't think. <laughs> but some more than others, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know, because there's some that sound disgusting, but um, there's a substance called postum, or possibly postum, okay. um, which was like, this really popular ersatz coffee during coffee rationing in the US during World War II. There was um, wheat and molasses. Huh. I mean, I feel that... That's kind of the equivalent of when you're a kid and you put Vimto in a wine glass and pretend you're drinking wine. Like, it it looks similar, but it's not going to taste similar. Yeah, that's just... Yeah, although one thing that I would be willing to try, although... It, the most well-known example is very bad. Um, are you aware of the um, Holodomo? No. Um, basically a um, manufactured famine under Stalin in the Ukraine. Oh, okay, yes, I have heard of it, but I, I didn't know it had a name, but I guess obviously it would. Yeah, bad thing. Yeah, I think we can just say starving people is bad. <laughs> if I think that's a controversial statement. That's <laughs> we t- we t- only take the uh, least controversial state um, statements on this podcast. You say that um, when we mentioned in the cotton famine episode that the American Civil War was about slavery. Someone messaged us on Twitter and basically said that's apparently a controversial statement in parts of the US. Oh, of course they did. Um, Thanks, Twitter. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, apparently people would make um, flatbread from potato peels. Okay. Because um, apparently what you can do is boil it up just to get the starch out. Mm-hmm. And then combine that, use that to sort of bulk out your flour. Okay. And because That's... it's very, very starchy, you, you do get a... I mean, it is the texture of sort of a not very good flatbread. Kind of ingenious. Yeah. Yeah. Which, naturally, people have rediscovered the concept and made it fancy. I found a recipe for a potato peel for catcher with um, bacon bits and shredded cheese and things to make it feel like a a loaded baked potato. (laughs) I mean, that does sound tastier than the original version. I think it's kind of beautiful. (laughs) That, like, this food of absolute desperation and someone has looked at that and gone i bet outside of that context i can make this delicious yeah i mean i can certainly see how someone would you know you get these traditional foods that come out of hard times like that um and then people in the next generations kind of improve upon them using the resources that they have and then it becomes something that's actually really good. Look at American-style mashed potato. Mashed potato is stodge. It's there to stick to your ribs and make you not be hungry. Uh Uh-huh. And then America goes, but what if we added cream and cheese and just made this fatty rich mass wow and it's i'm getting i'm actually tearing up a little bit because it's such a human thing like we're the only thing the only creature that cooks (laughs) and we just go we will find things to eat and once we survive the time that we need to hunt down things to eat we will make that same thing so delicious. <laughs> and that... It's just... I oh. cannot... It's just... <laughs> I can <finish> my sentence. <laughs> because I'm getting emotional about humans. Oh, man. I, I think in, you know, this day and age, it's a good thing to be able to do that. I mean, it reminds us that... We are, we're all humans and we're all kind of just bumbling around down here. So, yeah, I know. I think it is one of the most, one of the most human things that, you know, even in times of incredible hardship, when we're struggling to find whatever we can to eat, we still want to try and make it taste good. Yeah. But I'm I'm gonna distract myself from that. Um <laughs> I found in the collection of the Imperial War Museum Um there's a tin of Ursat's tobacco. Oh what's that um, made of? 
We don't know what that specific one was made of because it's not been tested. Um, but examples of Ursat's tobacco, um, which was apparently sold, that specific tin was apparently sold by Germans to a, a British First World War prisoner of war. Huh. Um, which I just enjoy as a fact. <laughs> but things that could be used include um, hawthorn leaves, oak leaves, apple leaves, strawberry leaves, raspberry leaves. Like, some of these are things that people legitimately make into tea now. So just smoking all the leaves you can find. Basically. Like, if you run out of tea and tobacco, the message seems to be just boil or smoke whatever you can find. <laughs> Some yeah, of it guess, might taste good. I assume it's probably not going to give you the same effect, but, you know, you can you can at least recapture the feeling. Interestingly, after I read about that, um, I started looking up uh, menthol and clove cigarettes because they're kind of the... If not ersatz, then adulterated cigarettes that are sort of common now. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, clove cigarettes were created for health reasons. Huh. Uh, the clove oil was supposed to help with various sort of respiratory issues. That's but it terrible. turns out clove cigarettes tend to give you more nicotine and tar. Oh, no. So it seems like a short-term solution. Yeah. Whereas menthol cigarettes were just created to taste good. I want to know what the mystery tobacco is. Right? Like, there must be a way. Can we tweet at the Imperial War Museum and get them to test the mystery tobacco? If you're listening to this, tweet at Imperial War Museum. We want to know what the Earthset's tobacco is. Everyone tweet for the tobacco. <laughs> it's catalogue number EPH3799 we've got to be specific here <laughs> we can make a difference <laughs> um, so yeah at, at the risk of me getting emotional again that is a brief history of Ursat's foods <laughs> I think it's a pretty good thing to get emotional about, actually. People are just so human. <laughs> they are, and it's cool. And it's really nice to remember that at the moment. Yeah. Oh, well, you cheered me up. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Mod, I'm Mod Paper from Probably Bad RPG Ideas, and we have a podcast. If you'd like to hear RPG advice on how to use assorted incredibly bad ideas as actual ideas in an actual game, then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, available on pretty much every podcatcher. And remember to have a probably bad day. So, uh, I'm going to talk about... Is it my turn? I, I, I think I have said everything that I plan to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you uh, collect yourself there while I yeah. do a bit of a local larder, uh, and I'm gonna talk about elderflower. Delicious. Because I was 
bottling my elderflower wine, as I mentioned at the beginning. And I thought, actually, it's kind of a regional thing, um, at least to not just to Britain, but um, to a small area of Northern Europe anyway, really. Um, and I, I do talk to quite a few people who have just don't don't know elderflower is a thing so um yeah i'm going to talk a little bit about elderflower as a flavoring so if you haven't come across it before uh elderflowers are the flowers of the elder tree um which grows in northern europe and uh, northwest africa and uh, parts of Asia as well I think um, and you get elderflowers and then later you get elderberries and you can also use the elderberries for things you can get elderberry wine and which is super tasty um, and all sorts of stuff but I'm going to talk about elderflower um, because elderflower cordial is a really popular drink um, at least in the UK. Um, and I think it is also used in drinks um, I, in Germany um, and possibly a few of the like, surrounding type countries as well. Um, although I don't think in France and Italy and like Southern Europe, um, uh, sorry, oh, maybe France, but I don't think in sort of Italy, Spain, that sort of Southern Europe area, because anyone I've, I've talked to from there, um, like hasn't heard of it so it's interesting uh, being a thing in north africa and northern europe but not in between yeah i don't i don't know how that uh, i mean i don't know if it's uh used as a flavoring in northern africa um oh it just grows so, there yeah um okay. so i don't if anyone knows of a north african elderflower flavored thing i would be super excited to know about it um, but I'm not aware of any at the moment. So elderflower cordial is like a delicious um, concentrated drink where you, you pour a little bit of in and then you dilute it with water or with tonic or soda or whatever you like. Um, and it's really kind of fragrant and fresh and it's, it's just the taste of summer for me. And it's, um, we did an episode uh, a while ago now on temperance drinks, and it's one of the Victorian cordials. Um, although, apparently, um, it does, elderflower does date back quite a long way. And um, even since the days of Hippocrates, who apparently oh. used elderflowers as a medicine. Um, I mean, used everything as a medicine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, people were just That's using everything left, right and centre at this point. But, um, <laughs> they, are, they are mentioned um, as a medicine to encourage vomiting and apparently like as a purgative. So, interesting. In my experience. <laughs> no, I... I have not vomited after drinking elderflower cordial, which is fortunate. <laughs> uh, elderflower wine and elderflower champagne, the sparkling version, were also very popular country drinks. Um, 
in the Victorian era and going forwards. Um, so my granny used to make elderflower champagne and I'd really like to make some someday. Apparently um, what makes it fizzy is that the fermentation process is prolonged. So it's, it's still fermenting a little bit. Um, and you can do that by just putting a little bit of sugar in the bottle to just kind of keep it ticking over when you bottle it. So I'm going to have to, I think I was too late to do that this time, but I might try that next time because it sounds delicious. Um, so that's, that's what it's used for kind of today. It's making a comeback. Um, it's especially as a flavor as well. I've seen things like elderflower buttercream or like icing, that kind of thing. It's starting I, to be I eat a lot of that. Yeah, <laughs> it does sound good, right? It's it's kind of a, a fancy flavor now, but historically it's been the a kind of country flavor, you know, like something that you can go out and gather for free to make nice things out of. It has also been associated. Um, I'm just going to talk a bit about elder and the properties of the elder um, and medicinal uses, because that's quite interesting as well. Um, so apparently Nicholas Culpepper mentioned it, um, at the 17th century herbalist. And the quote is <laughs> that if you boil like asparagus, the young leaves and stalks boiled in fat broth, doth mightily carry forth phlegm and collar. Which sounds quite nice. I mean, I'm not that into asparagus anyway, and then you said boiled in fat? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Just deep-fried asparagus. <laughs> I mean, you can deep-fry elderflowers. Elderflower fritters are a thing, and they're very good. I've had them. Um, so co just coating them in batter and deep frying them. Delicious. I'm not too sure about boiling them in fat. <laughs> deep fried asparagus sounds like one of those things people try to like trick their kids into eating vegetables. <laughs> yeah. Although I have also heard of elderflower fritters being earlier. You know, the um, Tales from the Green Valley series. Um, so that was a, a BBC series um, about the 17th century, I believe. I think so, yeah, because it was, it was Jacobean, I think, that one. Yeah, it was so the, the 16th. different ones, but yeah. that one was um, Jacobean. So I remember there being elderflower fritters in that. So I guess it must be uh, a fairly old thing. So maybe it's one of those things that started off medicinal and now people kind of thought, mm, that's tasty. I'm going to make yeah, it better. Lucasade. Yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> Lucasade was originally an invalid drink, something that you, you drink when you're in hospital. Wow. I'll, I'll do, an, I'll do a, a thing on Lucasade soon. <laughs> so apparently the genus of... Elder is Sambucus. I don't know if that have, has anything to do with Sambuca. Yes. Um, I think we mentioned I mentioned this in a very early episode. 
Um, okay. was originally an elderflower drink, um, elderberry drink. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. That makes me like Sambuca slightly more. I mean, I, th I think the predominant flavour in Sambuca now is generally more of an anise -y. Oh, yeah, that's why I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if it was anti-licorice. If it was some kind of elderberry liqueur, I would definitely like it more. Well, clearly, you just need to make your own historical sambuca. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, elder has had uh, historically some interesting associations. When I was looking at this, you know, sort of um, folklore surrounding the elder tree, I found a lot of stuff that is kind of unverifiable um but from what i can gather it is a tree that is has been associated in folklore with protection for quite a long time um so there would be elder trees planted outside people's houses to to help protect the house um and apparently it was also known as dane's blood because of a belief that it grew on sites of battles with the Vikings. That's incredibly specific. I love it. It is, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to, you know, try and read a bit more about that and try and find, because where I'm reading it from is an article and it doesn't give any kind of, um, like, reasoning behind this or a place that that, that statement came from. But, um, I'd, yeah, it's quite cool. I'd love to find out if it's true or not. Um, Probably one of those things where, like, it happened once. <laughs> Maybe so, yeah. And Shakespeare also mentions the elder tree. Uh, in fact, Shakespeare refers to elder as the wood that Christ's cross was made of. That seems unlikely. Now... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't think elder trees generally grow in the Middle East. It was not on your list of places where it grows. <laughs> it, it was not. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go ahead and say that it probably wasn't, but apparently that was, a, was kind of a, a folk belief. I mean, Shakespeare well. just sort of said things. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, people do have a habit of carrying their own folk beliefs onto Christianity. So I, I think that's probably where it came from. Um, for example, the fruit, um, you know, the, the fruit that Eve gives to Adam and supposedly the, the fruit of knowledge that causes the downfall of everything <laughs> probably isn't an apple. Like, it doesn't say in the Bible that it's an apple. It was probably meant to be like a pomegranate or something. But at least in kind of Anglo-centric cultures, it's always, it's always depicted as an apple. You know and what? I, guess... I would sell out humanity for a pomegranate. <laughs> I wouldn't for an apple, but for a pomegranate, I would be tempted. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, it's <they're laughs> so good. <laughs> But, you know, apples are what we have here. 
we don't have pomegranates. So I guess when it says a fruit, we just substitute whatever. And apples already have a lot of significance, uh, you know, within uh, yeah. British culture. So that, yeah. that is the fruit that we have. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've a fruit, a fruit that's significant. We've got one of those. um and you know you already have associations with apples as in the golden apples of youth from scandinavian mythology um so you know it's already up there as a magical fruit so you know just insert your magical fruit here (laughs) sorry so i've I've got quite a long way from the elderflower actually (laughs) like what i started off talking about um but it's quite a it's quite a whimsical kind of um flavor i guess it it is quite um quite regional quite it's coming back but um it was quite an old fashioned thing um but it's great i think because it is one of those things that you can just go out and collect and elder trees are around a lot they were used a lot in hedgerows because they grow back well when they're cut and hedgerows would would have these plants that were both good at being hedges and would bear fruit or something useful that you could make food out of because like if you're going to have your hedge why not make it nourish you as well um makes sense yeah <laughs> so elderflowers are uh, elder trees are kind of all over the place. Um, you even occasionally get them in cities, I think. So well, there's at least two near me. Awesome. Um, I mean, so yeah, they're more kind of suburb than full city, but I think they count. I reckon most people, at least in Britain, are probably within easy travel of an elder tree. I think that's a fair supposition. So, yeah, it's it's something that you can go out and gather. You don't need a huge amount of it to make cordial. Um, and you can make a thing for free. I mean, so, just before we start encouraging people to go out picking stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there, there, are, is, there are some fruits that look a lot like elderberry, but are poisonous. Good point. Yeah. Um, d- don't. <laughs> don't. Don't pick wild food unless you're positive what it is. Yeah, please do go find a picture of the thing and note what the thing smells like and, and be absolutely sure Maybe that it is the thing that you knows want. what they're doing the first yeah, that's, time. That's the ideal scenario. <laughs> um, but, you know, all that considered... I just love elderflower. It's the taste of summer. It is. I might have to get some of that bottle green elderflower now. Mm. Go for it. Tell you what as well. Gin and tonic with a splash of elderflower. Mm. You know I don't drink. I was talking to the others. That's fair. They quite <laughs> like it. So that is, uh, yeah, that's my lot on elderflower. Well, thank you. I I have learned. <laughs> um, if you have enjoyed learning, 
um, we do have a Patreon where you can request your own special short episode, um, get access to monthly recipes and a Discord server at patreon.com slash bread and thread. We are on Twitter as bread and thread and you can also email us if you have any ideas for future episodes at bread and thread podcast at gmail.com so thank you for listening and we will talk to you again soon